grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the Triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. A reading from the book of Nehemiah. Hear the words of Nehemiah, Hakaliah's son. While I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came with some other men from Judah. I asked them about the people who had escaped and survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They told me those in the province who survived the captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall around Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this news, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Later, King Artaxerxes was about to be served wine. I took the wine and gave it to the king. Since I had never seemed sad in his presence, the king asked me, Why do you seem so sad? Since you aren't sick, you must have a broken heart. I was very afraid, but replied, May the king live forever. Why shouldn't I seem sad when the city, the place of my family's graves, is in ruin, its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king asked, What is it that you need? I prayed to the God of heaven and replied, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, please send me to Judah, to the city of my family's graves, so that I may rebuild it. The king asked me, How long will you be away, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I told him how long I would be gone. The word of the Lord. A reading from the letter to the Philippians, from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all those in Philippi who are God's people in Christ Jesus, along with your supervisors and deacons, may the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray, and it's always a pray full of joy. I'm glad because of the way you have been my partners in the ministry of the gospel from the time you first believed it until now. I am sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. I have good reason to think this way about all of you because I keep you in my heart. You are all my partners in God's grace, both during my time in prison and in the defense and support of the gospel. 
God is my witness, and I will feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love might become increasingly richer with knowledge and all kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters, and so you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. I pray that you will then be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes from Christ Jesus, in order to give glory and praise to God. The word of the Lord. Gail Lukasik's mother mystified her. Watching Alvira apply light foundation at nighttime, Gail would ask, Mom, why do you put on makeup before you go to bed? Gail, you never know when you'll get sick in the middle of the night and have to call an ambulance, and you always want to look your best. That way you'll be treated better at the hospital. Growing up in Ohio, Gail would ask about Alvira's family in New Orleans. Mom, when were your parents born? Why don't we have any photos of your brothers and sisters? Why don't we ever visit? Those questions swept aside, lost none of their drawing power. And so at the age of 48, Gail started looking for answers in census documents and county records. What she found astounded her and terrified her mother. When Gail told her what she had found, Alvira looked her daughter straight in the eyes and said, you cannot tell anybody about this until after I die. For her entire adult life, Alvira Frederick had kept her past a secret. No one could know that her 1921 birth certificate classified her as colored, the light-skinned daughter of two African-American parents. Passing for white meant opportunities in life a life unhampered by Jim Crow segregation. But passing, passing always entails losing something. Alvira lost connections to her family. And like other people who passed for white, the threat of racist violence always lurked around the corner. Significantly for her, in the casually bigoted white man she married. Gail had new questions now about her mother, about her own identity. And after Alvira died in 2014, Gail asked them in public. Instead of shunning connection, she reached out for it. Because like Nehemiah, Gail Lukasik knew that staying insulated from discomfort and grief is no way to live. My heart goes out to Nehemiah 
an immigrant from Judea, living and working in the fortress city of Susa. Even the safest place in the Persian Empire couldn't protect his heart from the pain of the people of Jerusalem, the city in shambles. How about you? Which fortress walls promised you refuge from heartbreak? For some of us, it's staying busy. Like this character from James Baldwin's novel, Giovanni's Room, who admits, I had decided to allow no room in the universe for something which shamed and frightened me. I succeeded very well by not looking at the universe, by not looking at myself, by remaining, in effect, in constant motion. For others, standing still endeavors to accomplish the same thing, a retreat instead of running to the next thing, fading into the background instead of putting on a performance. As long as we can avoid pain and sadness, it doesn't matter if we're not exactly happy, right? We're fine, we say. We're just fine. Never mind that fine is an acronym, according to Pastor Mary Newborn Williams, an acronym for frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Yeah, we're just fine. But I can sense Nehemiah's defenses rise. Hey, don't step at me with that fortress talk. I wasn't hiding away. I was just living my life, doing my job. Yes, intellectually, I knew that I have a more comfortable life in Persia than I would have if my parents hadn't been exiled from Judah, but it's not like I was avoiding heartbreak. I simply asked my brother, Hanani, hey, how's it going in Jerusalem? I don't know what I expected him to say. Fine, I guess what everybody says. But things aren't fine at all. There is great trouble and shame, broken down walls, gates destroyed by fire, and just like that, the distance between Jerusalem and Susa dissolves. Nehemiah's heartache for Jerusalem, it feels so contemporary, especially after the collective crisis of the last year and a half. Nehemiah would empathize with Li Ying and Federico, each of them an immigrant to the United States, now raising a family in Connecticut. Li Ying is from Wuhan, China. Federico is from Lombardy, Italy. Each region was the first epicenter of COVID on their respective continents. And they married each other? I know, what are the odds? Each, each of them, Li Ying and Federico, had their attention focused on loved ones 
thousands of miles away, each trying to help their families with medical care from halfway across the world, it was easy for them to feel helpless and so hard to have their, t- their hearts stretched across time zones. We felt that too in the last year, didn't we? And we know from the last year that grief runs on its own timetable. Nehemiah grieved for four months, from the month of Kislev to the month of Nisan, essentially from December to April. Imagine, imagine Nehemiah trying to do his job for those four months, holding it together in the presence of the king and queen, keeping the pain to himself. Imagine the stress that he placed on his heart and mind. But holding it together is not the life-giving message of the Torah spoken at Sinai. Neither is it the promise of the prophets. It certainly isn't the gospel of Christ Jesus. So praise be to the God of heaven for breaking the silence through the last person Nehemiah ever expected, the king of Persia himself. Asking, why do you seem so sad? Now, the writings of scripture have a soft spot for Persian kings. Isaiah the prophet saw God at work in Cyrus the Great, who allowed the exiled people of Judah to return to their homeland. Queen Esther summoned her courage to reveal a genocidal plot And her husband, King Ahasuerus, king of Persia, listened to her. And here, in the fortress city of Susa, Ataxerxes notices the downcast nature of his cupbearer. Ignoring a servant, well, that would be easy for a king. But the God of heaven, the God of heaven moves his heart to compassion. I believe that, that God is on the move, inspiring the king and kindling within Nehemiah's broken heart an idea he might never have dreamed he would speak aloud. Send me to Judah, to the city of my family's graves, so that I may rebuild it. In this exchange, I recognize the God of Jesus Christ, whom Paul described to the church in Philippi as the one who started a good work within you. And not just any good work, the good work of koinonia. Koinonia is Paul's favorite Greek word to express how the Spirit weaves us into community with each other and with God. Koinonia means partnership, like when Paul writes, I'm glad because of the way you have been my partners in the ministry of the gospel. 
Koinonia means participation. As in a later passage of this letter, when Paul confesses a new kind of life that comes from participating, sharing intimately with Christ, with Christ's sufferings. Koinonia means communion, as in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Partnership, participation, sharing, communion, the Spirit transforms isolation into these, into koinonia, where we no longer have to keep secrets. We no longer have to hold ourselves together. God's Spirit has already started this work within us. If only we would pay attention. Artaxerxes paid attention, paid attention to his curiosity, and the Spirit drove him to Koinonia with the question, what is it that you need? Nehemiah paid attention to his grief, and the Spirit gave him courage to name his vision for Koinonia, the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt, its people no longer living in fear and shame. Paul, in his letter, is so attentive to his gratitude that this book of the New Testament, the letter to the Philippians, is called the letter of joy. Because joy, as much as grief, signals that the Spirit is at work. God delights in making our joy into a vehicle for encouragement and support for others. God uses joy, grief, and curiosity to create koinonia. So how about us? What work has the Spirit already begun in us? How can we pay attention? Resma Menachem, a therapist and the author of My Grandmother's Hands, directs our attention to our physical bodies. His research and practice focuses on the way that wounds from generations back and back and back have become encoded in our flesh. Menachem's work speaks to me so briefly, I'll invite us into one of his practices. You might choose to close your eyes, if that makes you feel comfortable. Do whatever helps you pay attention to your breath, to your body. Take a moment to ground yourself in your own body. Notice the outline of your skin and the slight pressure of the air around it. Experience the firmer pressure of the furniture beneath you or the ground beneath your feet. Can you sense 
hope in your body? Where? How does your body experience hope? Is it a release or expansion? A tightening born of eagerness or anticipation? How does your body experience hope? What specific hopes accompany these sensations? Do you experience any fear in your body? If so, where? How does it manifest as tightness, as a painful radiance, as a dead, hard spot? How does fear manifest in your body? What worries accompany the fear? Menachem writes, if your body feels both hopeful and afraid, congratulations. You are just where you need to be for what comes next. Resma Menachem's vision of collective healing imagines a society where bodies can work through the pain, the trauma passed down through generations, whether that violence was fueled by enslavement, by colonialism, religious persecution, or the brutality that motivated so many Europeans, my ancestors among them, to immigrate to a world they thought of as new. Medicum's vision is a tall order but it buzzes with koinonia, doesn't it? It buzzes with the spirit's power to build community. Gail Lukasik found healing and community when she told her mother's story. Aunts and uncles and cousins whom she had never met reached out and soon they had organized a reunion in New Orleans. And Gail was walking into the warm embrace of people who had only dreamed of her existence. The relatives around her represented every skin color on this continent, including Gail's own pale skin. Later, she remembered how I just kept looking at them, and I could see my mother because they looked so much like her. It was like she was there with us. Friends, today, may we look around our community 
our neighborhood and recognize family in our neighbors' faces. God is already moving within us and with them. Through all of our sorrow and joy, our hopes and our fears, God is already moving and will faithfully bring forth the fruits of community, of koinonia, for all to share. This is God's amazing grace poured out on us in astounding generosity, grace in which we live and move and find new life. So for such grace, let us give our glory and gratitude to God. Three in one, one in three, whose image is community. Amen.